right, all right. Wait, hey, there I am. I'm loud. I'll give you a second. So I don't, okay, okay there, we're, we're easing in. Okay, there we go. There we go. How y'all doing? Still doing all right? Come on, I want to welcome everybody watching online right now. We're excited that you're with us. Come on, go for it. Can we give it up for everybody watching online? Welcome, welcome. I know uh, we got people kind of easing in and, and kind of getting more comfortable coming to church. I know this morning I saw on Facebook uh, a couple in the church. It's, it's been over a year since they've been in a live service, and today they went to church. And so uh, that's pretty exciting. Come on. Come on. It's been... Um, it's been, it's been a season to remember, to say it in a positive sense, but, um, but I just believe that, uh, that, that, that there's a norm coming, whatever that looks like. So keep your spirits up, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I've chosen just to be naive about it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just, we're, it's just up and up, like we're just, it, things are good, you know? We're just moving forward, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but really are excited that all of you are joining us today. Uh, in case you don't know who I am, I am Jordan, that's my name, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Northwood Church. Uh, we are one church with four locations here uh, uh, in uh, Wiggins, in Long Beach, and also in Ocean Springs, and uh, God's doing some great things in our church. Uh, he really is. Uh, we have a healthy church, wonderful people, wonderful leadership, wonder wonderful pastors uh, to each location, and um, it's just good. It's good to be a part of a life-giving church with people who love Jesus and uh, you know, we ain't perfect, come on, but, uh, but we're doing this thing. And so, so with that, before we jump into James, I had a couple of things I want to let you know about. First off, next Sunday, we're going to be having a special speaker in. Uh, many of you know him. His name is Josh Canizero. He's actually one of, uh, one of my overseers, and he's going to be coming with his wife to, uh, to speak to us next week, Josh and Amber. Um, he's, he's come a couple other times. It's been a couple of years since he's been here, so probably many of you don't don't really know him, but, uh, but Josh is one of those guys that, <clears throat> that, that I call uh, and I'm able to just say whatever to. And, uh, you know, like you need a person like that, right? I've got, I've got quite a few of those, all right? Some of them are, are, were on staff, and my dad and, you know, other pastors. I mean, we, we're pretty open. But, but, uh, but Josh is, a, is an incredible person. Um, he was actually at Church of the Highlands for many, many years, and, uh, and went to New Orleans just a few years ago. He's actually from South Louisiana. Went back to New Orleans to plant, um, plant a church. And so One Hope Church is there in NOLA. And uh, they're doing great things. And so anyway, he's going to be here next week. So I want to encourage you to come and uh, or make sure that you, you watch online to, to hear what he has to say. I believe that he's going to bring something that's going to encourage us and, and help us along. So I want to encourage you with that. I did also want to sort of come uh, uh, kind of back up with Brittany just talked about with Impact Night. Um, you know... Uh, pastor Micah is our Long Beach uh, pastor, and he is sort of spearheading our, our impact student ministry as well. And we were talking this past week about what he's going to be sharing tonight and next month, and, uh, and probably some sort of, you know, series over the next few months. And uh, I just really want to encourage you parents to make sure that you make a priority to get your, your, your young people to impact. Um, the things that are going to be being talked about are... Um, necessary for your young people to hear. Um, I, I, I'm sure all of you are aware of the, the cultural shifts that are taking place in, in, our, in our nation, and uh, some of which may be good. You know, there's some things that I think are coming to the forefront that have needed to maybe for a while, but there's some other things that are coming to the forefront that are being pushed that uh, are unscriptural and unbiblical and need to be confronted head on. 
And, um, and so, you know, we're seeking to do that in a, in a, in a way that's full of wisdom uh, because, you know, nowadays if you confront one thing, people automatically assume you're confronting all of these lists of other things or if you support one thing that you're supporting all these other things and that's simply not the case. And so I know some of you are like, come on, we need to, we need to. I think that we need to take a lot of time and we need to be very uh, careful in how we, we need to take a scalpel to, this, to the culture that we're in, not a sledgehammer. And some people are taking sledgehammers, and, and I'm not really sure what's going to happen long, long term. And so we're seeking and we're praying fervently, and we're talking a lot about how to really move through this season, because this is a new norm. Our culture has broken into a new way of thinking and viewing the world that we've got to, uh, we've got to wrap language around. We've got to look at the word and say, what does the word say about this? And how can we biblically uh, approach these things? And so we're seeking to begin to do that with our young people. Um, we've got some things that we're talking about, uh, how, to, how to help some parents through these times, because there's some verbiage and there's some things that, that, uh, that they mean something different now than they did 20 years ago. And so if you're a parent of a teenager, uh, you might be having a conversation that was 20 years ago and, and it's not right now. And so we're just, we're seeking to do this with wisdom, but I want to encourage you to, uh, to, if this is your church, to, to also support the student ministry because all of this ties together. You know, every week, uh, most weeks that we, we, we have a sermon, these same sermons are talked about in our youth ministry as well, in their small groups, just like we have sermon small groups for adults. We, we most of the time are following along the same thing with our young people. And, and that's by design. That way, all of us are moving in the same direction, having the same conversations uh, in order to grow in our understanding of God and to grow in Christ. And so that's also our, our way of helping families to grow together is that we would be having the same conversations. And so we're sort of wanting to take that to another level. So anyway, I just wanted you to know that uh, so that we, I think if we know what's going on, sometimes there's more value to it. And for young people, it's like, ah, oh, well, you know, I was just at church this morning and eh, tonight, uh, you know, I'm taking a nice Sunday afternoon nap. And it's like, I don't know, parents are like, Ugh. but if you know what's really going on, I think that there might be a little bit more motivation to support it, right? So uh, I want you to know that it's very important, uh, and uh, so there's that. All right. There's this, what we got. All right. Well, let's jump into today. In James, we're going to be covering verses 20 through 26 today. Um, and again, like always, if you miss a week, I would highly encourage you every week, anytime that you miss a week, that you would go back and that you would watch the week before you come to church on Sunday um, or you watch because there's like some of this builds, right? And so some things that I'm going to say today, if you, if you didn't hear some of the things we talked about last week, it might feel a little bit thin or that you're kind of you know, you might be missing a couple of building blocks. And so I'd encourage you to, to really keep up. Uh, last week, though, the big idea was that the faith that saves always produces good works and is based on God's saving work in Jesus Christ. And it was, it, we, we really cracked it open. We really went there talking about faith and works. Today is sort of a continuation of that in a certain sense because this week the big idea is that authentic faith is willing to sacrifice and risk for the sake of the kingdom. 
Authentic faith, true faith. There is a faith that saves and there is a faith that is thin, shallow, and more of just something that you say, not something that you do. And James is really confronting this thinking. And again, there's a tension in this and that we'll get into that in here in a second. But uh, James chapter two, last week we kind of dug into chapter uh, two, verse like 14 through, through 19. And uh, he says some things. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Again, what good is it if you have faith but, uh, but it doesn't affect the way that you live? Can that, say, that faith save him? Skip on down to verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So if you just have faith but there's not an accompaniment of action to it, James is saying, what's the point? That faith is not active. It's not affecting you outwardly. It's also not affecting those around you, which, of course, whenever we, we see how Jesus lived and we see how Jesus challenged his, his followers, there was always this uh, attachment or this, um, this coupling together of, of what they said, but also how they acted, how they acted towards people, loving God and loving people, right? There was always this, this uh, addition. So he goes on. He says, some, some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Uh, some people say, well, I believe that God, I believe in God, right? In verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well, but, but even the demons believe and shudder. So basically what he says is there's a lot of people who are saying they believe in God. I believe in God, I believe in God. Come on today, right? I believe in God. Everybody believes in God. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people do. And uh, not that it's the God of the Bible, but they believe in some sort of higher power, some sort of mystical higher energy, I don't know, source of some sort, right? And, uh, and he's like, you know, that's great. You, you say you believe in God. Well, the demons say the same thing. And, and they actually believe to such an extent, we talked about this, they actually shudder. Like they're, there's fear involved. So some of you are like, I'm really scared of God. That, so that proves I have faith in God. Well, not the kind of faith that James is talking about. So verse 20, James says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? I think James is getting a little frustrated here. He kind of let it out a little bit there. It's like, James, like pull it back in a little bit, man, here, uh, you know. You foolish person. Do you, basically, do you need to be shown that faith apart from works is, is, is useless? So he goes into an illustration here, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? We'll get to that in a second. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was, was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. All right. So these verses, um, for, for those of you who have been around for a couple of years, y'all remember we, we taught through the book of Romans just a couple years ago. And in case you remember, um, J James, what we just read, verse 24, uh, seemingly 100% contradicts what we explicitly talked about in Romans, where Paul says you're justified by faith alone. James comes along and says you're not. You're not justified. Now, we also took a lot of time and talked about justification. If you all remember a couple of years ago, 
we, we talked about justification in some way, shape, or form, I think every week, you know, during that whole series, 16 weeks, because this is such an important biblical uh, uh, point here, that uh, and justification has to do with st- being righteous before God, being in right standing before God. And the whole point is that you cannot be right with God based upon your own merit, based upon you uh, achieving some sort of threshold of holiness or righteousness, it's impossible. We've all fallen short. And so we need something else, someone else to make us justify, to justify us before God. And uh, so if we see these two verses, uh, in verse 28 of, of chapter three of Romans, he says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You're justified by faith alone, right? That was one of the big points of the book of Romans. And so what a lot of people do here is they, they say, okay, Paul is saying one thing and James is saying another. And y'all remember the first week we talked about this, how their teachings are actually complementary, not contradictory, because they're, they're really approaching two different battles here. Paul is fighting against the deceptive idea that we can earn our salvation with our works. This is one of the big things that actually caused the whole entire Reformation where the Protestant church split off from the Catholic church. It goes back to this right here. If you go and read about Martin Luther and uh, this revelation he had in the book of Romans, it's what really, it's one of the things that spearheaded this reformation that says, you know, we're not justified by, you know, paying off someone or, or buying certain things or, or praying a certain prayer to a certain person. These things don't justify us, Right? And that's us. We're, we're Protestants. We, we believe that we are justified by faith alone. And so Paul is, is confronting this type of thinking, whereas James, on the other hand, he's fighting against this easy believism, this, this, this greasy grace type of approach to Christianity, which is basically, I can do whatever I want because God's grace is so good. So, we, and we talk about this quite a bit. We talk about, on one hand, you have legalism. And on, you know, on the other hand, you have lawlessness or a word that a lot of people use, antinomianism, which is just basically disregarding the law altogether. And I want you to have this picture in your head of like a horse, right? There's a horse in the middle and uh, on one side you have legalists and on the other side you have people that are, you know, basically they abuse the grace of God on this side where they're lawless, antinomianism, right? They, they fall into this category. And, and a lot of times you'll see people who maybe are raised up in a legalistic environment, right? Like you got to wear your dress a certain length. You got to like, you know, whatever. It's, it's extreme legalism. You know, you, you can't like some people have taken things in the scripture and they have blown them up to such a proportion that it's just impossible to live, right? But there's this legalistic tense type of way of living. And what you'll see a lot of times, especially in young people, is that whenever they spread their wings, right, what do they do? Right, the, the point would be to get up on top of the horse and be centered, but typically what happens is they fall, fall over, over the other end and they fall over in lawlessness, right? But then those who grew up in an environment who maybe there was no sort of boundaries whatsoever, a lot of times when those people, maybe if we're, you know, we're talking about Christianity, maybe if they, 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 they find Jesus, right, and they, they begin to pursue him, some of those people will fall over on the other side of the horse and, and fall into legalism. And there's a lot of different things and illustrations I could use on both sides. We don't have time for that today. But the point is that we should be centered. And I picture Paul and James up on top of the horse. 
And Paul's looking down at those people who are, you know, all about the law and trying to, to uh, gain righteousness by, by obeying the law. And he's saying, hey, guys, you got to center up. But I see James talking to the people who are lawless saying, hey, you guys are just living however you want. God's got a righteous standard about the way that we live. You guys need to center up as well. They're pulling both groups of people together. They're not against one another. They're on the same exact team. And, and, and some of you in this place today, like, you need to hear Paul's perspective. You are beat down, condemned, and trying to attain God in, in, in the way that you act. Some of you are trying to wait until you get cleaned up and you start acting right before you come to Jesus and surrender your life to him. And that's a deceptive way of living. That, that is a lie from the enemy saying that you have to get right before you get right. <laughs> you have to come to Jesus as you are, which is broken, sinful, full of shame and fear. He is what heals you, right? So some of you, you gotta hear, you gotta hear Paul. But some of you, you need to hear James, right? You're like, God's grace is so good. I can sleep with whoever I want and he still forgives me. Like I can do whatever. I can lie. I can just, man, but God, he's, I can, I'll just come to him and I'll lift my hands on Sunday and it's all good. I mean, that's not how it works in our marriages. Like, like, like what if, what if Monday through, through Saturday, you know what I'm saying? You, you just, you went out on your spouse, you lied, you cheated, you did whatever. And every Sunday you ask for forgiveness. <laughs> that would last for about two weeks. The first Sunday would be like, okay, this is really, this has been a really bad week but I think I forgive you. And the next Sunday, it's like, uh, did you pack your bags? <laughs> and I hope, you, I hope you got your suitcase ready because we're done with this, right? I mean, let's just be real about it. But somehow, some way, we get, we get this mindset that that's how we can treat Jesus. And, and what it is, it's, a, it's just a lack of, of relationship. And, and what James is saying is that somebody who lives a lifestyle like that, you have to really ask the question, do I have real faith at all? You ha I'm not judging you. I don't have to judge you. I'm just saying ask yourself the question if that's the lifestyle that you live. Is it even saving faith? Is it real? Or is it something that I say in order to numb the guilt and numb the condemnation that I can just run to this phrase that will kind of, it's just religion in the negative sense. So that's, that's the conversation that they're having here. Uh, but another interesting point about James and Paul is that they both use Abraham as the example of what it looks like to live a life of faith. James 2.20 says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? You know, and, and here's the deal. He's talking to primarily Jews here. And, and so they understand the story of Abraham, which we're going to get into here in a moment. But, but then if you don't understand, if you don't know the story of Abraham, whenever he says, he was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You just closed your Bible and said, I'm getting out of here. We're talking about child sacrifice now? <laughs> like, this just got weird. We'll get there in a second. But there's two things to talk about. Number one, who is Abraham? Abraham was born in 2008-ish BC. You know, some say 1996. In that time, around 2000 BC. And uh, it's about 2,000 years after Adam and the fall. And he lived, interesting stuff, really doesn't, mean too much for this sermon, but I just think it's kind of cool. He lived for 150 years with, uh, in the same time as Shem, which was one of Noah's sons. And so he was a contemporary of people who were contemporaries of, obviously, Noah and the Methuselah. You all remember him? Who was contemporaries with Adam, 
So we're not that far removed from the beginning. Because these people live for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so, so some people think like, oh, things like got lost in translation over time. Actually, these people, they lived in the same area for like hundreds of years together. Okay, so the whole idea that like something was written down on some people, piece of parchment, and, you know, or whatever it was at that time. And then like, like given and nobody could really understand. No, these people lived around each other. This, they, they were... They were in some way, in community together. And so, anyway, just a little bit of a nugget there. Um, so, so Abraham is, um, he is, uh, well, let me back up. So this is not far removed from the garden, right? So in the garden, we see God making a covenant with Adam, promising a deliverer. Adam and Eve fall, God promises a deliverer is gonna come and basically right what has been wronged. Uh, and it was Abraham whom God uh, chose to make a covenant with to bring to earth that deliverer. And again, if you remember in Genesis, we talked about this back in the book of Romans as well. We talked about how God cut a covenant with Abraham. The wonderful thing is that God really just cut a covenant. Remember the animals that he, he cut in half and then Abraham went to sleep and God, uh, the, anyway, he, he basically made a covenant with himself. Uh, I don't have time to get in all these little things, but it's, it's, it's very important to understand who Abraham is and why they continue to refer to him. Because the people of God, they, 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 they look to Abraham as a, um, a very important figure for them. But he was one of the most important figures in the Bible apart from Jesus. And it's through his lineage that the Savior of the world uh, came. If you go into Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, you can read that. But um, no one can really understand the Old Testament without understanding Abraham. For in many ways, the story of redemption begins with God's call to this patriarch of faith. And also Abraham was really the first uh, explicit example of God um, you know, counting someone as righteous, right? And, and, and almost giving them, giving them his righteousness. And so Abraham is a, is a center point of scripture and that's why they use him as an example so much. So, um, but, but let's talk about the second part, which I think is, is very important to, to clarify. Whenever he talks about offering up his son, Isaac. Okay, back in these days, child sacrifice, human sacrifice was kind of a normal thing. People had this understanding that in order to appease the gods, that they would offer up human blood to, you know, to kind of offset or, or, or please or, or, you know, make the angry gods happy again. Actually, uh, it was funny. Not, not funny. That's a horrible choice of words for what I'm about to say. I retract that. Let's edit that out. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that I was reading on the Aztecs recently and um, the Aztecs had this mindset that the tears of children were like some sort of special pleasing thing for their gods. And so they would actually torture children to cry in order to please gods. The mindset of people is barbaric. And this whole idea of, of you know, worshiping gods and human sacrifice is, is, a, is a very kind of, it was a norm at this time. And so God... If you can kind of put yourself in this story at this time, God is sort of going along with a, with a, a thought that Abraham really understands. And so when God asks Abraham to offer up his son, his only son, the promised son, Isaac, up to him as a sacrifice, that sort of speaks to this understanding that Abraham sort of has culturally of what a lot of people do. And so, so he says, okay, 
sort of willingly, but also you can imagine the pain that was in his heart to have to go do this. But just before he's about to do it, an angel of the Lord stops him, speaks to him. And, uh, and in that moment, God then provides a ram uh, in place of Isaac, which of course is a, if you read it through the lens of the gospel, you can see Jesus at that moment and him coming to be the ultimate sacrifice for us, laying himself down, God laying his, his son down in order to, uh, to uh, you know, uh, appease his wrath, if you will, uh, in order to, to make us at a point now where we can be justified by faith alone, not by sacrifice right? You see how it kind of all ties together. So um, it's a picture of sacrifice and it's a pattern for what God would do. And I think it also speaks to us that authentic faith, which is what Abraham had, is willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, which is really our main idea today. Authentic faith. Abraham had this promised son that he was then given and he could have held on to like this, right? clenched and we would read the story and actually be like well yeah I do the same thing we love our kids but even the most prized possession that he had he was willing to sacrifice to willingly give it up for the sake of the kingdom and I think it's a question that we have to ask that 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 tests our faith is are we willing to sacrifice the things in our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God to lay things up on the altar and say, I'm willing to give it up in order to follow God, in order to obey what God is calling me to do. This could mean a plethora of things. This could mean like the thing that you love to do the most that is beginning to compete with Jesus. The thing that your family does that, that is actually a good thing but becomes the main thing. And are you willing to sacrifice those things for the thing that matters more? Nowadays, we are really good at justifying why we don't have to sacrifice much for the sake of the kingdom of God. We're really good at it. Whether it be our involvement in church, which I'd rather say involvement in the body of Christ because I feel like it has more weight. Because if I say church, you're like, oh, you just want me to show up to services and come to all the meetings. Missing it. Missing it. Why? Because culture is pumping that really hard that the church is all about just the big thing. The church is all about the money and the fame and the this and that. And, and because of that, the enemy is able to deceive the church, the body of Christ, into forsaking itself. And then things begin to erode. Relationships begin to erode. Discipleship opportunities begin to erode. Did you know that as a disciple, you are called to be a disciple maker? Right? So that would be something that we would have to sacrifice time and energy in order to do and to accomplish. But what happens is we begin to make disciple making like an optional thing. And then all these other things, they, they are vying for the same attention. The same attention. Like, am I going to go to small group where I could be a person of influence and help, help guide people and love people to Christ? Or that night, am I going to go to a birthday party? Oh, it's getting quiet now. I felt it. I just started meddling. I just did it. Oh, man. Oh, just wait softly. There's crocodiles in the water. Don't mess with the birthday parties, right? 
I'm just saying that maybe you could go to dinner afterwards. You know, I just, since I'm there, I might as well just go there. The reason is, is because we see birthday parties as something that's significant and we see something that's a small group or whatever the case is, y'all. Honestly, whatever it is that God's speaking to you to do in that moment. And, and those things, did you know in those moments, those things are actually competing? Take birthday party out, apply whatever it is that, that right? Those things are competing. And, and, and so for us, whenever we think of sacrifice, I think we think of the big things. And, but, but I think that God's actually looking at the small things. Take it or leave it, I guess, if the shoe fits. <laughs> um, oh, some support. It's nice. Because <laughs> that's just where it's at, y'all. So, so the question I have for you is, what's your Isaac? Is what's the thing that you need to lay on the altar? What's the multiple things? What, are they a bunch of small things? Where's your priorities at? Are you willing to sacrifice? Because I think authentic faith is willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? So verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So, so his, his, his works kind of revealed where his faith was actually at. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that's just what we refer to as Abraham it being counted to him as righteousness uh, based upon his belief in God and his actions that accompanied it. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's James' point, is that if, if Abraham said, yes, God, I believe in you, I trust you, and then God's like, okay, I want you to sacrifice your son that I gave you in the first place, that if at that point... Abraham would have said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. That at that point, it would have inauthenticated his faith and shown that he really actually didn't trust God. So that could actually challenge us. Whenever God does bring to remembrance or convict us about a certain thing in our life, and we know what we're supposed to do, and we kind of like go, no, I'm not going to do it. That may be a sign of inauthentic faith challenging. Verse 25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? To which some of you are like, why are we talking about prostitutes now? (laughs) Who's Rahab? Rahab was in the city of Jericho. The, The Israelites, they crossed the Jordan they are going to take Canaan and the first city, Jericho, very fortified place. And so they send in spies into the, to the land in order to find out what's going on. And um, they, these spies hide out in a prostitute's home named Rahab. She, she, she brings them in. She hides them whenever the guards come because they, they, the king knows they, you know, they get little birdies all over the place, right? And so whenever they know, they find out what's going on. Uh, he sends guards and they try to find him and she lies and lets them out and, and keeps them safe. And it's interesting because she's completely the opposite of Abraham. Completely the opposite of Abraham, right? I mean, in everything. So just a few things. Uh, she was com- the complete opposite. She was a prostitute in a Gentile nation. Abe, Abraham was a, the patriarch of the Jews, right? Uh, 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 Rahab is living among the enemies of God, the people that are against God. Abraham is a, like we just read, a friend of God. Uh, Rahab was at the bottom of the, 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 the social class, right? She was like the bottom of the barrel. Abraham was at the top, right? They're kind of, these two people bookend any situation that we could think of. 
a prominent person in society and also one that's not so prominent and actually probably looked down upon by most people. And it says that Rahab was justified by her works. I think it's interesting that she was justified as a Gentile in that time as well, which will mess with some of your theologies maybe a little bit. That someone who was outside the the, the people of God could be justified and grafted in even at that time. But that's what happens. She's justified. And I think it's also interesting because they, they, it's like, why would Rahab do that? Why did she, as a Gentile, protect the people of God? And it says that she and the people in the city had heard about the stories of how God had delivered the Israelites over and over again. And so whenever, <laughs> I mean, you got to think, they probably kind of felt a little bit safe where they were at. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Israelites come across the Jordan. And they're getting closer and they see them. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, no. You know? And fear took over the city. Everybody began to fear what was going on and, and why were they here? What are they going to do? And she's like, I already know that we're dead meat. She's like, I already know what's about to happen. She believed in God based upon what she had just heard about. She hadn't seen anything yet. But she heard the stories and she said, I think that this God is a real God. I think this God can actually do something and I'm going to be on his side. Right? So she was justified by those works and she risked a lot. She risked her life, she risked her family's life. Even though she believed that God was gonna come through, she actually wasn't 100%, right? There was a, there was a layer of fear and doubt, but she, she chose to go with her faith in God and put her trust in him. And I think it's the second point of today, which is authentic faith is willing to risk for the sake of the kingdom, to risk. Sometimes we put things out there not really knowing what the result will be, but we follow our faith in God. We follow our trust in him, and it's exactly what she does. She trusts that God is going to come through. She risks it. And I think the question for us is, are we willing to risk things for the sake of the kingdom? What does that look like? Give you, I'll, give, I'll use one example, that we as people who follow God, it's going to become more and more risky to follow God with, in truth. It's going to become more and more risky. In, in your school, it's going to become more and more risky to be a person that says that you follow Jesus and you believe what the word of God says. There's an echo. It's all right. It's just kind of weird to hear myself twice. <laughs> Can I amen myself if I, if I, uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> more and more risky. Amen. <laughs> hey, man, that's right. So <laughs> in case you don't know what's happening, I, I was, I was getting streamed on the front row on Facebook. So, but uh, a double portion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but it's going to become more risky. Okay, now here's the deal. The, the, the idea would look like this. If you're a high school student and, and you say that you believe in Jesus and you say that you believe in the word of God and what the word of God says and the word of God says things that doesn't match up with the norm nowadays, you are putting yourself at risk to, be, um, to lose some friends, 
to lose some influence, to lose your status at the school, right? Like that's where it's at. And not to say that that's easy because that's a scary place to be. You don't want to be the only kid in class out of 30 kids in a room that when the teacher asks one of those questions and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I agree, I agree. And you're like, I don't agree. In college, nowadays, if you don't agree, it's like, it's almost violent, right? Tolerance, huh? <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what Pastor Mike is going to be talking about tonight. It's, it's this whole agreement thing, and what does that look like? How do you, how do you disagree and, and still love? What does that look like? You literally risk. Look, guys, the things that I say up here from this pulpit almost every week, it's risky. I said years ago, I said, I think in my lifetime that um, just for reading the Bible that, that I could see at some point getting ticketed, getting fined, getting threatened to be imprisoned for just reading the, like, just reading the Bible, not, not saying anything else on top of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, when I'm 50. And now I'm like, maybe by the age of 40. I'm not really quite sure, you know. Honestly, it's where culture is headed because the world hates Jesus, don't be surprised by it. If you're trying to befriend things in the world, the world is diabolically opposed to the things of God. You can't mix it. And it's becoming more and more clear. The church is, is splitting in half because some people want to compromise the truth of the word in order to follow what the world's saying. And, and I understand a lot of it's in the, you know, we want to love, right? But what is love? My kid, I love them so much that they're, if they're walking towards danger, I let them know about it. That's loving. That's, that's what love is, to tell them the truth about the situation that they're in. And I can say that in a loving, loving way, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that, because I love them so much, I don't want to let them know that they're about to walk into the street. I love them so much, I don't want them to look at me in a negative light, so I'm going to bend the truth in order to, to be able to, you know, support them in that. And it's like, no, that's actually a very unloving thing to do. Are you willing to risk your reputation at, at school? Are you willing to risk your reputation in the public? Business guys, listen, you're all wrapped up in a bunch of stuff. Are you willing to actually have integrity and, and maybe lose a deal in order to honor God? Like, are, are, you, are you willing to actually, yeah, let that guy get one over on you in order to not, to not ruin your reputation, right? Like, like I don't know. What does it apply to your life? What, what does it look like for you? Are you willing to risk things, time, money, energy, relationships for the sake of the kingdom of God? Verse 26, and then we're closing. For as the body, and he basically is restating the big idea. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. You separate the spirit and the body. That's whenever a person has died. So also faith Apart from works, separated from works, faith by itself without works. By the way, works by itself without faith, either one not together, it's dead. It's dead. So where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in a place where you're willing to say, yes, I have faith, but is it authentic? Is it true? Is it real? Is it faith that right now you're sitting here, you're watching online and you're nodding your head and you're amening? Is it faith that this afternoon still is operational? 
Is it faith that affects the way that you live or does it just affect the way that you talk? And we have to be honest about that. Now, you don't have to be honest with me about it. I'm not going to see you tomorrow probably, right? It's you and Jesus. It's, it's, this is all between you and God. Maybe your family as well. But this is, this is where this, story, this conversation is at. And so, so I want to pray with you all. If you bow your heads and close your eyes and just get along with God. Say, Lord, just search my heart right now. Search my heart. The way that I think, the way that I act. For some of you right now, you just need to repent. You just need to say, you need to say Jesus, I repent. I've been, I've been wrong. I've been living in sin. And I repent right now. There's some of you in this place today that, that you're far from God. And if you know that you don't have a, a right relationship with Jesus, I really want you to hear these words that, that you are justified, you're made right before God by faith in Jesus' sacrifice for your sin. Not just believing that Jesus is real, but trusting that He is your Savior, that He is your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your Lord. So right now, if that's you, and you know that you're far from God, just say, Jesus, I repent. I give you my life. I give you all that I am. The things that I want to brag about, the things that I want people to know about, and the things that I keep from everyone. I lay all of it before you right now. Take my heart. Take my life. I willingly give up myself to you. For all of us in this room today, Jesus, I pray that you would challenge us in our faith. That, that our faith would be authentic, that it would be real. We align our hearts with yours. We agree with your truth. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you're in this place today and, and maybe you're, there's kind of this barrier, there's this wall that you kind of keep coming up against and it has to do with your relationship with God. You might have just said that prayer a second ago and it might have been the first time, it might have been the 20th time, but I believe that all of us, we come up to these, these barriers in our life. And I believe that we, we walk through those barriers and we continue to grow whenever we continue to remain in a repentant lifestyle. Some of you, it's, you keep hitting the same thing in life because you feel like you're supposed to live in perfection. And you feel like every time that you make a mistake, that it automatically means that you are separated from God all over again and that God is, is waiting to judge you and remove you and, and you live this constant cycle of condemnation and then trying really hard and, and you call that trying really hard repentance, right? And you try, 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 try and then eventually you run out of gas, you run out of energy and so you fall again and, and then like you know that God is real and so then you come back and, but it's, it's not out of conviction, which is actually something that's attached to hope. It's out of condemnation, which is something that's attached to just that's who you are and there is no hope. And so then you just have this cycle over and over again. And, and actually, 
it's very much kind of like Abraham viewed those gods in his time. It's, it's kind of remnants of that right now. You view God as some sort of overbearing, dictator, hateful type of being. And so therefore it causes you like Adam and Eve to actually go and hide rather than coming to him. Isn't it great whenever your young kids, whenever they mess up, they, 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 they can't keep it bottled up. They're like, dad, I said this, right? They just, they willingly uh, uh, confess, right? And, and that's how God wants us to be, willingly confessing to him like a child, not trying to uphold our reputation and all these things. He already knows and he already knows. He's like, come to me willingly. And I think some of you need to hear today, be encouraged to willingly repetitively, daily, come to the throne of God, come to the feet of Jesus and repent, willingly confess your faults because he's faithful and just to forgive you. That's what the Bible says. Listen, if you're in that place, we wanna come alongside you and help you in this process. And, and, and I'll just give you a quick next steps, a next step. And it's, there's, there's a, a next steps card in, the, in a seat pocket in front of you. And if you find yourself in that place, maybe you just recommitted your life to God today. Maybe you're trying to have a fresh start, a new start with Jesus. I'm talking to you right now. Would you, would you fill out that card? We'll give you some instructions here at the end of the service in order what to do with that card. We simply wanna support you, come alongside you and help you in that journey. And this would be the way for us to kind of connect with you. So, so we'll give you some instructions at the end of the service on that. But I want to take about five more minutes. I want us to stand to our feet. Because here, here's the deal. And, and don't disconnect yet, y'all. I think it's so important that we respond to the things that we've heard. We respond to the word of God. And we're going to do that in worship right now. We're going to sing this song, My King Forever. And I want to encourage you to, to again, just, just five more minutes, just kind of put aside distractions and allow the Holy Spirit to seal up anything in your heart, something that's really come up against you. Maybe there's something that you were convicted with today about authentic faith, being willing to sacrifice and whatever it is right now, just close your eyes and just allow God to deal with you. Jesus, what is it in my life right now that is causing me? What, what am I putting above you? What am I putting in the place where only you should be God, right now, I repent. God, right now, I agree that you are more than that, that God, you are more worthy than that thing or that person, that relationship. God, help me to lift you up on top of those things, above those things, Jesus, because you are the King, Lord. You're our God, Jesus. What a great morning, what a great morning. If you, um are falling into the category that Pastor Jordan just talked about and that message resonated with you or you've committed your life to Christ or recommitted your life to Christ and you want it in that endless cycle um, and he uh, directed you to your next steps card, go ahead and fill that out and you're going to take it to the back table back there today and um, we'll be in touch with you and help you move through the process of that. If you're just here for the first time and you want some more information, same next step, just fill out the card and go ahead and bring it back to the table over there and um, we'll get you plugged in. Just gonna remind you super quickly about everything that we talked about earlier. 
Um, so we have baptiz baptisms next Sunday. So if you are someone that needs to fill this next step card out and you want to take your next step with Christ, then the step after that is baptism. So we would love to help keep you moving through that process. And you can sign up at northwood.church baptisms. And then we're going to all head out and go to food truck Sunday. So we get to all move that way, grab your kids and head out and we'll get lunch. The trucks are out there ready and waiting. Impact tonight. Um, at 425 here in building two. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you in the back.